Well, we're in the, in the middle of a, a short series on pathways. How do we walk in wisdom? How do we walk in the ways of God? And learning that he, he speaks, his desire, his speak is in, in the language of wisdom, actually. The Holy Spirit speaks in the language of wisdom. And so we're trying to discover then how do we, how do we listen? How do we listen to his voice really, really well? And one of the theme verses actually isn't from the book of Proverbs, but it's Ephesians 5. He says, be careful then how you live, Paul says to the church. Not as unwise, but as what wise people. That we'd make the most of every opportunity that we have in this world. That we would make the most of the situation we find ourselves. The culture in which we find ourselves. And that we'd make the most because the days are evil. Therefore, we would... Not be foolish in the way that we live. We wouldn't be fools about how the world operates or how we walk or the decisions we make. But rather we would understand what the Lord's will is. And for us to understand that, we need to learn to have ears to hear, to listen well. And if the Holy Spirit speaks in the language of wisdom, then I think we need to ask some different questions. And so this is a quick review. I've been talking about this every week and I need to remind you again and again that often we ask the wrong questions. We're, we're trying to still live, in a, in a sense, in the legalistic or in the law sense, which isn't that the law is wrong, but it doesn't help us walk in the path of wisdom. So often we ask, well, is there anything wrong with it? If I do this, is, that, is this right or wrong? Is this right or wrong? Is that right or wrong? But that can get us down a path that Scripture teaches can be devastating, that we get right up to the point of sin and enter into sin and are destroyed by it. And so instead, we're trying to learn that the Proverbs ask us to consider that life is like a journey. It it is a path. And we need to ask at all times, is this a wise decision? Is this a wise thing to do? Is the path I'm on wise? Because the paths we make are decisions and they will lead us somewhere. Paths have destinations. And so as we walk down a path, it's taking you somewhere. So is the path wise is a good question to ask. And so that's what we're doing and that's what we're talking about. Today we're going to look at, we've been looking at Proverbs kind of 1 through 9. And we're going to look at chapters like basically 6, 5, sorry, 5, 6, and 7. We're actually going to skip kind of 6, but 5 and 7 in there. And what we're understanding is the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon, and it's written to his son. And so you're going to see a lot of language like that. A lot of language that's kind of speaking to a son, and he's talking today a lot about being careful of the women. So, so if you're a woman today, you're going to feel like, hey, this is very like, you know, kind of attacky on us. But it's because he's talking to his son. And so you can take it and apply it the other way without any problem as well. And this is actually one of those more, I'd say, sometimes a difficult topic for some people to talk through because he's really warning his son about sexual purity and staying away from being immoral women or the idea, the concept of adultery in general. So whenever I get to a topic like this, I try to stay away from as much interpretation as possible And I try to lean heavily into the text. And so I want to read to you quite a bit of the text today from Proverbs chapter 5. And then we'll go into a little bit into Proverbs chapter 7. My hope is that, this isn't the first time you've read it, 
because you knew we were going through Proverbs 1 through 9 and you've already read it. So hopefully it's a reminder. And if it is the first time, then I need you to go home and read it slowly and let it sink in. Because what he's saying here is, of course, dripping with wisdom and especially for us today, even in our own culture. So I want to read you starting at verse 1 in chapter 5. It says, my son, of course, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Now, if you ever had, again, teenagers or young adults, you have to, like, beg them to listen. And that's kind of what he's doing. Like, please, 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 please listen. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, so he's, he's admitting something here that is okay to admit. He's like, hey, what happens in the situations is that there's some things that you're going to maybe go after and experience. And at first it feels like, hey, this is pretty sweet. And this sounds okay. But in the end, he says, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps lead straight to the grave. Now, again, he personifies, not only is he talking to his son about, specifically about women, which you can take it the other way. If you're a woman today, you can take it as he's talking about a smooth-tongued man as well. It would be no different for sure. But he also does, personifies wisdom as female, and he also personifies foolishness as female. And adultery is actually personified as well. It's just the way that he talks of wisdom. And you'll notice that Solomon actually throughout the Proverbs is kind of obsessed with women. And in his life, in his history, we recognize that that was what he thought was he would solve his own adultery issues or I guess obsession with women by just having like hundreds of wives. Maybe that would take care of it. It, it didn't get him very far. And then, don't know why you want hundred of wives around, but it, I have a hard time taking care of one who still, yeah, relate to one, not alone hundreds. But anyways, so straight to the grave. So let's continue on before I get myself in trouble. I said I wasn't going to do much commentary. I stick to that. So let's continue on. For this woman, this adulterous woman, she cares nothing about the path to life. So again, why did I call this pathways? Because he's always thinking about paths. Decisions upon decisions create trajectory, a path. So this type of person in your life, outside of you, who wants to entice you with smooth words, right, with honey, doesn't care about the path of life. They, she staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize it. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. So he's begging. So what is he, don't listen to me. Stay away. You know, it's, if you've had teenagers, you've had these conversations. Like, stay away. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor. And you will lose to merciless people all that you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth. He also knew about lawyers back then. And someone else will enjoy the fruits of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body, and you will say, how I hated discipline. 
If only I had not ignored all the warnings, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I've come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. Drink from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. For, at the end of verse, chapter 5, for the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path, there's the path again he takes, an evil man is held captive by his own sins. There are ropes that catch and hold him, and he will die for a lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Why does he talk about this so much? This is a couple thousand years ago, and it's really no different today. It's no different today. The issues of sexual immorality, sexual impurity, adultery, these kind of behaviors that destroy families have wrecked more hopes, broken up more families, messed up more people psychologically, emotionally, than pretty much anything else in our society. To be honest, if you reflect on it long enough, you'll realize that most of our social ills in North America are caused or fueled by a misuse of sexuality. All of these things are shrapnel. They come, they come out of this. Our world is consumed with misuse of sexuality and constantly trying to make it the misuse of it, normal. If this one thing, if family units were protected and sexuality was used the way God intended it to be used between a husband and wife within the home, you have no idea, if you reflected on all the complexities that our society, all the destruction that we go through would be taken away. There'd be so much of it gone. How many kids are growing up experiencing the ramifications of broken homes because of these issues, dealing with their own issues, and it's snowballing generation after generation after generation. There seems to be no regret that runs deeper in the lives of people that I meet and talk to when they've gone through a time like this in their marriage or either as in their teenagers or teenage pregnancy or the blowing up of a marriage and on and on and on. Nothing changes the trajectory and the path of their life more than this stuff. So it's no doubt that when you're going to talk about wisdom and living a life of wisdom following God's way, that this is a central issue that Solomon brings up that we need to be aware of. I've been a pastor long enough now to sit with so many, so many, so many people who have had these issues change their life forever, mar children, relationships, their emotional health, their psychological health, their physical health, on and on and on. 
How do we get ourselves into these things? How do we walk down these paths convincing ourselves that the end of this path is not, is not that bad? I think the problem often that I hear over and over again from people when they're on a path towards destruction or even if they've gone through that, they've, they've somehow tried to convince themselves that their circumstances, their emotions, their, their relationship is unique. That there was something about their circumstances and the temptation they faced which was abnormal and outside of it. And I've talked to so many people and they'll say things like, if you only knew my scenario, if you only knew my spouse, if you only knew the way I grew up, if you only knew these things, you would understand how I got myself into this mess. I hear it all the time. But Ecclesiastes says, also wisdom literature written by Solomon what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again, and there's nothing new under the sun. And, and this issue has just plagued us for all of history, as far as I can tell. There is wisdom for us, for you, that isn't unique to your life. And so you're going to hear me say some things, and next week we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But this idea that wisdom then, I, I've said this already, is unique to you. In other words, there is wisdom for you that's going to be different than everyone else. But there's also wisdom that we're finding here in this area of sexual purity that isn't unique for you. It is actually common for other people. It is actually something that we all need to listen to and understand. 1 Corinthians says, well, the temptations in your life are no different than what other people experience. They're not different. They're not unique. The desires we talked about last week, we, we have those desires. They're God-given desires. And from the beginning of time, it feels like the enemy has taken our God-given desires and always tries to twist them to be used for selfish ends. And so in the area of sexual temptation... There's, it's not a unique thing. The stories we hear from people on a regular basis are actually <laughs> quite easy to predict. They're quite easy to predict. The outcome of sexual sins is what Proverbs is talking about mostly, that he wants a son to avoid, is actually very predictable which is just destruction and damage. And so that's why he says at the end of Proverbs 5, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Like, are you able to play on this pathway and not get hurt by it? And he's like, you're not going to make it. <laughs> you're going to get hurt by this path. It's going to destroy you. It's going to take you out. So the pathway that leads to sexual sin is also very predictable. It's actually a very predictable pathway. And that's what he's trying to do in this passage of Scripture. He's trying to not just say, look, adultery, don't do it. <laughs> I mean, it's true. We know that. You know it's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't do it. We all know that. We've known that for many, many years. And yet somehow, in, even in Christian circles, it doesn't seem to take you know, this kind of root in us that we go, okay, don't do it. But what he's really trying to do is he's trying to describe a little bit more graphically that there's a path to it. In other words, there's things on the journey there that you need to protect yourself against. 
So he's not just saying to his son, don't do it. He's saying, look, this is what it looks like when you're on that path. And so this is where I I think we need to take heed today and go, okay, what does it look like when we're on that path? So he talks a little bit about this and he gives him a picture, a picture in Proverbs 7. So in Proverbs 7, he's like, I want, I want you to see what this looks like from my perspective, having wisdom. So he says, well, I was in a window of my house. I'm looking through the curtain, and I saw some naive young men out there. And there was one of these guys, particularly, who lacked some common sense. <laughs> so he wasn't thinking well. He was simple-minded. We talked about that. He was being a simpleton. He was just going about whatever. He was He was foolish. And he was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as the darkness falls, and then the woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. And so he's going about his business, he's doing his thing, and he, all of a sudden, there's another party at play here. There's another person that interacts and engages with him. And so I started thinking, well, this is kind of like, you know, when they're going along down the road, and I started, I reflected on this, like, Hansel and Gretel thing, you know, and uh, he's talking to his son, like, I know, it's like a candy house, right? It looks good. It's sweet. Everything looks good on the inside. So we know the story from a kid, I think, is taken from Proverbs chapter 7, I think now, when I read it. And I'm like, well, that's great. But the problem is he's saying, but, but it's not, not a, a witch on the outside, okay? It's not a witch, son. This is like a whole different ball game. So it's candy on the outside, and it's not a witch on the outside. It looks better than that. Now, for some of you, unfortunately, I have to include the women, so let's take her out of there. Okay, it's, it's not just candy. It looks good. So you're going down the road, and you look and go, wow, that's something. Because So I saw a guy, and he came out, and all of a sudden, wow, there's something there. So with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk, or he seduced her. I'll help you get you around your head. <laughs> with smooth talk. So many times when I talk to women on the other side, this is what he does. It's the smooth talk, the encouragement, the flattery, the you're so nice, and I just enjoy being with you. It's smooth talk. And all at once, he followed her like an ox going to slaughter. Picture that son, wait a minute, if that's not good enough, picture a deer stepping into a noose and an arrow piercing its liver. And if that doesn't work for you, then you like birds. Picture a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it'll cost him his life. So he's like, look, here's so kids are all gone, right? So like, I don't care what picture you need, son. Like, pick your picture. This is what it is. I know it looks like this on the outside, but this is the destination, you know. You're heading that direction. Everything's fine. Everything looks great. This is where you end up. So he's trying to get across to his son. He uses all different kinds of pictures. I was going to show um, pictures I have, but I thought better not. They're worse than that. I actually thought it would be a good idea to watch a cow get slaughtered in, in Haiti that we had to eat later on. It kind of wrecked the meal. We just honestly wrecked the meal. 
The cow was thinking everything was fine. I mean, it was being loved and cared for and fed so well. You know, never been so cared for in Haiti till that day. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your heart stray away toward her. This is the keys that you're talking about. This is about paths. He didn't say don't do it. He's not saying don't do it, which is obviously the conclusion. But he's saying you need to be wise. So wisdom isn't just don't do it. Wisdom is don't let your heart go that way. Don't wander down that path. <laughs> you wander down the path and all of a sudden you're, don't be deceived that you are in control. See? See, this is, this is the problem I ran into people and we've all been there, is that I'm in control of my temptation. You're not. You're not. He says, that's the fool. That's the foolish one. It was a kid, and he was just out there for a walk, and he thought, I can control as much as I want of how much I'm going to be tempted. No. No, no, not when you're on a path. She comes out. There's a seduction that happens. Your heart is going to get strayed. Don't wander down the path, for she has been a ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is a road to the grave. Her bedroom is a den of death. Sexual immorality will destroy you. Now, when in danger, our natural reaction is to flee. And so 1 Corinthians says, look, flee. From sexual immorality. So I had to look up the Greek word for flee. Flee! That's all it meant. Run! So I was, uh, I was helping a, a, a farmer friend of ours, and he was, he was doing buffalo. And that's a whole different ball game, buffalo, because these things are wild. They're not tame. It was a first generation, too, that he had. You know, over years, I think they get a little tamer, but this was the first year, and he's like, hey, you're the pastor. You should come help with buffalo. It's like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, what do I do? Well, they gave me a pokey stick thing that electrifies them. And, uh, you know, and, and you get them to go from this big pen into smaller pens into smaller pens and smaller pens. And how you do that is you got open shoots and closed shoots and open shoots. And when they won't go forward, you zap them. And he showed me exactly where to zap them to really make sure that they feel it. And it wasn't very nice. Um, zap them right here. That, they'll feel that. It's like, okay, right under the tail. Okay, got it. Zap them, get them through. And so I'm getting them through all the way along. And I've been the one on top, way up on top, zapping them, zapping them, zapping them, right? Finally, get them all. And I'm doing that for a while. He's like, hey, you should come down, down below, and you can work the last couple gates. And he's like, you know, all you just got to be, what we're doing here is we're, you know, we're doing things to these young bulls they don't like. Um, in, the, in the press at the end, and we're cutting off their horns and other things. And so, like, they're not very happy, but generally they run away when we open the gate when we're done. They just, they, they, they run. It says, but you, if you ever hear us yell, it means they turned on us. Oh, okay. So I'm working the gates and everything else, and all of a sudden I hear a scream, Run! And I turn, and there is a buffalo coming down the side of the chutes. I didn't ask questions. I didn't wait. I didn't find out exactly why he was upset. I've never climbed and jumped so hard up fast over on top of the gates before while the buffalo runs underneath my feet. 
It's like, oh, that's flee. That's flee. Flee is danger. Why don't we flee? Why don't I flee? It's a good question. And this is the, this is the challenge, I think, of God's word for us. And it's, we live in this society that's constantly telling us this isn't really that bad. You will be okay. And yet, honestly, there's no evidence out there that proves this. I've, I've never met, have you ever met a couple that's been married their whole lives and everything's fine and they've been faithful and, and, and they get to the end and go, man, I really wish I would have messed around a little bit more. Never had that happen. But I've seen a lot, a lot of people that are a wreck going through marriages, carrying baggage of hurt and pain and trying to limp along through life and gone through one marriage or another marriage and, and they're just trying to survive. I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of the wreckage the kids experience. I don't think we know why God hates sin. I, I think, I, I, I have to reflect on that for myself. I don't think I know why he hates sin. I think we just think God hates sin because he decided to or something. That's crazy. That's like me looking at my kids going, you know, hey, I don't want you to play with that saw. You're only five years old. Why? You're so mean. Well, no, like (laughs) you're not, you don't know what to do with the saw. Like you're going to hurt yourself. And so the father, the heart of the father for us isn't because, oh, I just, I want to keep these things away from them. That's the lie of the enemy from, again, the Garden of Eden. You know, God's just holding out on you. He doesn't want you to experience this. He doesn't want you to become like him. He wants to hold back. That's why God says no. No, God says no because of this. It hurts. It destroys. It wrecks not only you, but generations and societies and family units. That's why God hates it. Because of what it does to us. And so to understand that is that's why this book over and over again and it says it again coming up in Proverbs 9 is that the beginning of living a wise life is acknowledging God the fear of God, the respect of God. And if you don't do that, you'll never live a wise life because you don't understand who he is. And you'll just hope for the best in life and you'll go about it and you'll get maimed and everything else. And his desire is for us to experience the way life was designed to work. So we often don't protect ourselves from a pathway that leads this way. But I've seen myself and others, the greatest moral failures that we ever have are just preceded by a series of unwise choices. And this is what this series really is helping us get down to. It's not a series of choices that are necessarily wrong. It's a series of choices that aren't wise. That's what it is. So, how you behave, how you put yourself in situations. Do you expose yourself to the opposite sex in unsafe situations? 
Do you protect yourself against this? Do you protect yourself on your online? Do you hide what's on your phone? Do you hide what's on your computer? Are you engaging in a way that's not safe? (laughs) When you travel, how do you protect yourself? Because the whole time that you are doing these things or interacting, and for us, I'll be honest, in this world, I'm glad my kids are at the age they are. And for those of you who have young kids, this is why we're talking about this day. We have to teach them not just the list of things that are wrong, but we have to help them learn how to walk a path that is wise. Because, I mean, for Solomon, you can imagine, like, he's like, you know, the only way my kid is going to get into this, you know, bad situation is he's literally going to have to walk down a street and bump into this woman. And for our kids, it's just, I just got to pick up my phone. Like, it's all the time. It's everywhere. It's a constant enticement. It's a constant begging, begging, begging to try something that's unwise. So it's not just enough to say, well, it's just don't do this and do this. It's I have to learn that I get myself in trouble if I don't ask the right questions. I always find it interesting. So I thought, I wonder why, I don't know why it took me a second, but it actually did. It was like, Solomon's really, you know, really, you know, this is pretty harsh stuff. And it dawned on me, he's like, well, wait a minute. He's David's son. He's David's son. And who was his mom? Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Oh, yeah. He is the result of an adulterous relationship. He saw what happened to Bathsheba's husband, his mom's husband, got murdered and killed to hide, cover up sin. So all these words about how your sin entangles you, it leads to death, this is what happens, here's the result. He had to live an entire life aware of where he came from. (laughs) And from that day forward, even from David's reign, it all kind of went downhill. And the next generation spiraled out of control and his own kids tried to kill him and everything else. And Solomon's sitting back going, look at what happens when you don't live wise. You know how that started even before that? I love it. There's a little phrase there that I think is so important. And it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 11 when it talks about David and Bathsheba. And it says this, and most people have been, you know, you've probably heard this before. It it says, in the spring of the year, in the springtime, when kings go out to war, David stayed home, okay, to be alone. That's really what he's saying. David decided to stay home. It wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And in his boredom, I think, also, and alone, he had too much time on his hands, and he starts looking around, and he notices Bathsheba. Was it wrong, morally wrong, for him to stay home? No. But why? Why did he make that choice? And so that's what I'm talking about. The beginning of a path isn't necessarily a wrong thing, but if he'd asked God what do you want me to do? I think scripture makes it clear is he was supposed to be over there and he was here. And that's how it started. 
And so he noticed her. He noticed her just like Solomon describes. He sees that she's beautiful. He gets attracted to her. His desires increase. And he takes a step and takes a step and takes a step. And eventually it leads to not only adultery but murder. All kinds of lying and deceit. Other people died too, not just Uriah, because of this. We do not live, and this is where I think the psalmist is trying to help his kid at least understand. We don't live in this neutral environment where you're in control of your desires. You don't live there. You're, you're in a society, you're in an environment, you're in an evil world is what Ephesians says while you read it. You're actually in a, a negative environment, an enticing environment. And so if you were in a neutral environment, I guess you would have a lot more where you could, you know, walk up to the edge of some of these bad things and go, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to commit a sin here. I'm just going to go really close. But wisdom says, no, like, don't go as close as you can to her door. He says, get away from that path. Get away from the door. Don't go near the door because it's not neutral. You're not in control. This is what Proverbs 9 says. We'll talk about it a bit more next week. And this is where the other side of, there's wisdom out there that he talks about calling out. But look, there's this other side. The woman folly is loud. This enticement is loud. She's undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point in the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple, if you're not worried, you're not thinking about consequence, you're not thinking about your future, you're not thinking about your destination, well, come over here. Everyone who lacks judgment, she tries to pull them over. Stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. We don't live in a neutral environment. Peter tells us in 1 Peter, watch out. <laughs> Stay alert. We have an enemy, the devil, and he is going around trying to devour those who want to follow Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's looking to destroy. And so he's looking to entice. He's looking to trip He's looking to pull you over. He's looking to destroy the things that God loves. And this is the problem. We're in the middle of a cosmic spiritual battle. The enemy hates you. Hates your family. You are in the image of God. You are God's child. The enemy can't stand it. Wants to mess you up, would be the phrase I guess comes in my head. Wants to wreck you. That's what he wants. He wants to hurt who? It's a good question. Who does the enemy really want to hurt? God. If someone really wants to hurt me, they're going to go after my family. And that is what we're facing. That is what we're doing. So let's... Look at this for a second. I want you to understand then what do wisdom say? Wisdom says this, look, boundaries then. If we could be wise in our boundaries. So in other words, not going near there, staying away, marking our path in a certain way. Boundaries determine the intensity of the temptations we face. 
Think about that for a second. Boundaries determine the intensity of the temptations you will face. So the problem with youth often, I hate to pick on the youth, but that's what he's picking on, is that when they're trying to find out sexual boundaries and they want to know where the exact line is, they want some adult that won't tell their parents, but someone will give them permission to go up as close as they can to the line, right? So they can go there. That's why they're asking. And that's intense. So they want to go and put themselves at the highest risk of the intensity of the temptation. And they think they'll be okay. (laughs) No. And so boundaries determine that. Why do we need to help our kids understand what boundaries are? Boundaries, it's not, and this is where legalism came in. Of course it makes sense. We don't want to break this law, so let's make more laws. This isn't about actually our relationship in a sense of sin. This is about how do we live in a way walking with God that honors him and protects me and protects his name. So Proverbs says, well, listen to me. Don't turn aside. You don't keep to what I say. Keep my path far from her. Don't go near her house. So what boundaries have you set up is the question to protect yourself. If you have an enemy who's trying to destroy you financially, relationally, sexually, emotionally, trying to destroy you. So what boundaries is wisdom asking you to set up so that you don't get damaged? That's the whole point. How do you deal with your phone? How do you deal with passwords? How do you deal with who you hang out with and who you spend time with? Proverbs 16, he says this, God's people avoid, avoid evil ways and they protect themselves by watching where they go. That's the language of boundaries. So what is easier for a man to say no to? Going for coffee with someone of the opposite sex or already being in a situation, in a private situation and saying no to advancement? That's the question of boundaries. Is it wrong to have coffee? No. Is it a secret would be a great question. (laughs) Who knows? As soon as you start hiding things or protecting phones or protecting passwords or not telling someone where you're going or where you've been, you need to know if you're doing any of that, you're already down the path. That is a path. <laughs> the path of secrecy is the first step. Not even the first step, it's somewhere in the path to destruction. Because the enemy isolates and creates secrecy. And I've had a lot of couples who, they, they fight back against this. <laughs> You know, a spouse will come to me and say, hey, you know, my spouse, they, you know, they have this relationship and this friend with someone at work and, and I don't like it. And, and that other person goes, oh, they just don't trust me. I don't understand. They don't trust. Listen, if anyone's saying they need to trust me, flag. No. You should not, I think, according to Proverbs, trust yourself. 